Welcome to episode 221 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Neumeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast topic this week, we're going to chat about the digital life, automation, and eliminating the human in our interactions. So there was a terrific essay by the former lead singer of one of my favorite bands, The Talking Heads. Uh, David Byrne did this essay on MIT Technology Review just last week, talking about how technology was eliminating human interactions uh, sort of in in our day-to-day lives. Uh, And he had a, a great quote from that essay Uh, He said, part of making something frictionless is getting the human part out of the way, which I I think is is a nice way of putting it. His his thesis for for this essay is that automation is uh, eliminating the human in in a number of our uh, sort of digital services, whether you're talking about uh, the e-commerce or digital music. Uh, or the not-so-social social media. And he postulates that this is leading to less tolerance and understanding of differences, uh, amongst other possible detriments. And, of course, you know, all kinds of benefits, which we discuss on the show all the time, the, the benefits of, of automation, which is, you know, you can have things rather quickly or you can communicate across distances with lots of people. But the sort of messy, emotional, sort of human-to-human interactions are becoming uh, less and less so in our digital lives. And, you know, frankly, I think, I think he has a, a, a point there. Uh, I'll, I'll give an example from, from my own life as, as I took a little inventory of the human-to-human interactions that were uh, eliminated for me. So strangely enough, uh, my example is, you know, one of the simplest, which is, you know, I I really enjoy Amazon.com and, uh, you know, the Amazon robot uh, AI or whatever knows the types of books I like to read. Whereas in a previous lifetime, it feels like a decade ago, I would actively spend a lot of time in a bookstore. And it's funny, when I go on vacation, I look for... Uh, used bookstores, good used bookstores, mm-hmm. and or independent bookstores, and I will spend hours and hours in there, yeah. uh, just combing through the stacks. Yeah. Right there, there's a a randomness uh, to to used bookstores that I rather enjoy, which is you know you're looking for some serendipity, right? As mm-hmm. you look through, I mean, in my case, the sci-fi. Uh, section and go through and just sort of see what what they have, sure, and interact with you know the the people, the the shop owner. Uh, some sometimes you run into some really interesting uh, people and really interesting books. Uh, I, I found uh, you know this uh, uh, this one one book when I was up in in Provincetown. Uh, it was it was on vacation uh, many years ago, but it was. Uh, uh, the sci-fi book called Dahlgren, uh, and uh, it was written by Samuel Delaney, I believe. But the intro was by William Gibson, and you know Samuel Delaney is is the lion of of science fiction. But William Gibson, for me, as like a cyberpunk aficionado, he is you know the Godfather, right? So uh, anyway, I found this hardback you know uh, book with a slipcase that was signed by both of them. <laughs> 
holy smokes. Pretty cool. Yeah. And and so that's just part of the, you know, I was in this used bookstore chatting up the the uh, store owner, whatever, and 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 sort of had this serendipitous moment, and and those moments, as much as um, you know, you can sort of digitize that experience. Those moments aren't quite the same when you're shopping on Amazon. It's really more, uh, you know, sort of in the digital experience. Find what you want, execute, and get out. Um, and so the used bookstore. Um, or the indie bookstore or whatever bookstore you prefer, that experience is, is gone by the wayside. And I know I still need that or want that or enjoy that because when I have free time at my disposal, then I go and find it. Yeah. So, so that's my one example. I have plenty of other examples we can get into later, but I want to turn this over to you, Dirk, and get your impressions uh, on the essay. Yes, too, so too much, too much. Like, uh, There's like four things that I want to talk about. The first one that I'll talk about quickly, because um, I think it's of less interest to our listeners, but I was really sad reading it, this, this article because it was in the MIT Technology Review. It was only in there because it was David Byrne. If it was John Follett who wrote that exact same thing, if it was Dirk Niemeyer, it never would have gotten in. It read like uh, an intelligent blog essay from someone who's naive and ignorant to the issues being talked about. And so it, it pained me that a celebrity was able to just get that into a publication that I expect to be at, at a real high professional level of, of publishing. So uh, I, I want to start there. Let me now jump to, to sort of the end and, and your um, – you know your your story of going through the used bookstores and that, and and this will actually frankly relate to a lot of how I feel about what David Byrne wrote. Is that what we need to do is figure out what are the things that should be experiences and what are the things that should not be experiences, right? So you in your life will have moments when you want to just order a book and have it show up. You will have other moments in your life where you want to browse slowly through a used interesting bookstore you've never been in and just see what you discover, right? And, and we need space for both of those things. Just because browsing through the interesting used bookstore has a lot of positives to it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to just push the button and have the robot bring us um, the random book that we just want when we want it. One of the, the real problems I have with the things that David Byrne wrote, with what a lot of people who go down this path write about, is that there's no sense of a greater system or greater order where we're saying, look, you know, um, I, I, here, here's a good example. There was someone who was, um, I, I read, it's been a while now, but there's someone who was talking about how it, we used to have to wait in lines a lot. And they said that was a good thing because it, it had social interaction with other people, people we didn't know and wouldn't necessarily normally talk to. And it also gave us time to, to daydream, to think, just to be outside of doing other things and be forced into space where we, we reflect and we uh, just dream. And, and that's it, such flawed thinking, right? If there is – so waiting in a line sucks and is horrible and is awful, right? If in that context there are valuable aspects such as – socializing with people you haven't met before, such as daydreaming, such as some kind of unstructured um, uh, percolating about the world as you sit in this awful line wanting to claw your eyes out. That doesn't make waiting in line something that is good and should be preserved. We need to be cognizant of what are the experiences that are enriching, 
that are enjoyable, that are uh, part of a healthy, fulsome human condition that should manifest in the context of the totality of our lives. And those should, in almost every case, not live within the traditional structure in which they live. They shouldn't live within waiting in lines. They shouldn't live within these um, unintentional, accidental, broken contexts. Let's design for them. If daydreaming is good for me, let's optimize the way that I daydream. You know, I had an experience just this week, which really, really sort of brought this home for me is um, at home at my house, I have, um, you know, I got it on Kickstarter a while back. It's, it was called The Sense and they're out of business now, but it's, it's a product where you put this little thing on your pillow and there's something that sits in your room and there's a little app on your iPhone and it tells you like how well you slept, right? A long time ago, it stopped working right for telling me how I slept and was just worthless where that's concerned. However, one of the features of this product is it has an alarm clock. And that alarm clock, they scientifically worked out to be the best possible way to wake you up. And so when when the time comes in the morning, when I wake up, this little wonderful music starts very light and then goes up a little and up a little and up a little. And it's just a wonderful start to the day. Last week, I happened to be sharing a hotel room with someone who uh, they set an alarm that was like a red alert klaxon going off. Um, and they set it for earlier than I normally get up. So, uh, you know, at, it, or at this early un, unholy hour, it's rant, 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 rant. And that's a great example of the traditional, thoughtless, bullshit approach to the thoughtful, scientific, digital age approach. And yes, we still need to wake up, but why not wake up in a way that has been determined to be the best for our holistic self, as opposed to rant, 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 rant. I I love your imitation of the the clacks on there. I'm I'm well aware of <laughs> that hideous uh, alarm sound, and actually, that's one of my least favorite uh, noises in all the world. So, point taken. I think that what's interesting about uh, sort of the automation versus human act interaction question is is also there there are I think a number of contexts where where there were forcing functions that, um, you know, sort of brought us, you know, together with other human beings that may not be of, you know, the same persuasion uh, that we are, whether it's politically or intellectually or, or what have you. Um, so so the, the interaction with the uh, a bookstore um, keeper or the, the guy at the record store or somebody in line, right? Um, it's a suboptimal, you know, in theory, the, the line waiting is suboptimal and, may, and maybe- In practice, John. Yeah. Forget theory. And, and the, um, well, people, uh, uh, not that I'm into uh, waiting in line at all, but I've, I've seen waiting in line turned into uh, celebrations for things. And, and uh, um, certainly, you know, if you're an Apple fanboy waiting for the next iPhone, waiting in line is, is part of the experience. Maybe five or six years ago. I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. But there, there, there are forcing functions here where you encounter people different than you in in uh, in physical space and and may or may not have have a conversation with them. And I think the opportunities for that sort of interaction are, you know, if we're optimizing, you know, whether it's service design or you know you know whatever the the elements are that get us to these 
these optimizations that are are based on user preference, I think the things that make us uncomfortable sometimes are, are sometimes good for us, right? So being able to account for human interactions that may be good for us as as a you know as a society, but not necessarily good for just what what I want in totality. Like designing some of those things in also needs to be taken into account. And I think with digital media, it is extremely easy for us to uh, be part of our own echo chamber. Um, I know I'm guilty of following people or listening to people who sort of match the same wavelength that that I have and ignoring people who are on a different wavelength. And so, you know, being able to integrate those you know, sometimes vastly different uh, ways of looking at the world and exposing people to those things, uh, I think is is a good part of human-to-human interaction, which sometimes can get lost in, in the digital and can be sort of tough to design for uh, because it's it's a good that is not necessarily at the user level. Like I would, I don't know if I necessarily say, yeah, put me with somebody who I'm going to disagree with strongly. And, you know, when I do my, uh, you know, you know, whatever this activity is, I want to butt heads with somebody. I don't know if I would choose that or not. Right. But I mean, we're going to get into much bigger questions of, about the world. I mean, should there be some paternalistic system that is putting us through a gauntlet of what is best for us? Um, which is sort of the opposite of now is we just sort of careen through a totally arbitrary, not designed system and just catch as catch can. I mean, I, I, for me, I like, you know, I mean, one thing you talked about was like driverless cars and, you know, here's this thing. Now a human was involved. Now they're not involved. And, you know, I mean, those are, those are good things. I mean, the, the, driving a car, um, you know, it's something that's dangerous. You could potentially die. Um, it's something that for most people is stressful. Now there's exceptions to all these things. There's people like, I love driving. I would just drive all fine. Great. But for the most part, you know, there's, there's all these things that aren't that super moving them out of the way should be done. Like here, let me, let me flip it. What's something that happens almost never today as we go through our lives. It's very rare that we share our greatest delights with other people. It's very rare that we share our greatest fears with other people. It's very rare that we open ourselves up to a deep level of intimacy with other people unless penises and vaginas are involved. And that's a tragedy. We are missing out on on the beautiful and wonderful and essential parts of humanity as we have conversations like, um, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, good, good. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, good, good. And we forget about it 10 minutes later. The, the, the unexplored territory of the self is something that is not part of the, the, the process and the, the, the experience of being alive and being a human in our society. Let's move past the crap that nobody cares about and let's get into the stuff that really matters, right? I mean, look, the, the, the sort of inane conversations that I referred to before of what do you do, how, how are you feeling, what's the weather, I mean, that's all bullshit. Uh, you know, scientists, there's been research done um, fairly recently, and I'm not going to, to be able to cite it, but if you Google um, using the word orgasm, you'll be able to figure it out pretty quickly, is that the brain activity when people are talking about themselves is similar to the brain activities when they're having an orgasm. And when they're in a conversation and when they go from talking about themselves to listening to the other person, that brain activity regresses into something that is, is, is not very good. 
Okay, so you go from talking about me, feeling joy, awesome. I'm like on top of the moon because I'm blathering about myself. But when you start to do the same, I'm not getting much out of that. I'm kind of I'm kind of retreating. And so we're like these, we're practically like AI receptacles. So like I'm standing here so you can have your orgasm as you dive all your information about yourself to me. And now you're going to stand there as a receptacle so I can have my little orgasm as I dive my information out at you. I mean, it's a fiction that we're having these these conversations are sort of engaging both of us and bringing us in. It's this, this, this sort of mono process of I'm going to have my orgasm. Now you have your orgasm. So the whole thing is bullshit. I mean, we have to blow it up and look at what really matters. I mean, what are conversations that can make us soulfully laugh? What are conversations that can make us cry? What are conversations that can take us to the extremes of human reality that we spend almost no time in? However, if we look back at our lives, if we investigate the things that are most meaningful to us, that we remember the best, they're those kind of moments. They're not the moments of how's the weather. They're not the moments of what did you do this weekend. It's a something different entirely. And the way we get there is by moving out of the way Wasting half a day going to the store, waiting in line, doing a lot of bullshit, proceduralize that, and let's get to the essence and the wonder of being human. Okay. So I take your point on on uh, sort of the higher goods for human interaction that are possible. I, I will say that I think foundationally there's a lot to be said for what amounts to the trivialities of interactions with people who – you know, you only see uh, in brief periods. Like, for example, I have a, a number of neighbors who are from different places, right, from different countries. And, uh, you know, I go through um, a lot of my day, uh, you know, I'll just say, you know, sort of, you know, hello to folks or whatever. But the fact that I think there is some foundational respect that comes along with interacting people in a light light touch way that I get from, you know, interacting with my neighbors, even if the uh, ostensible discussion itself is about something paltry, like, you know, the weekend was hot or something like that. There is um, some basic exchange of respect that goes on through that interaction when when I see my neighbor um, and understanding that we're sort of sharing all this same space together. So um, as much as I get it, like sometimes I don't want to say hello to people because, you know, whatever, I'm, you know, in a rush or not in the mood or, or what have you. But there, I do think there are some fundamental benefits to these uh, paltry interactions. And I can tell that um, um, I think we've sort of uh, touched on, you know, what could be uh, a whole series of podcasts here in terms of uh, sort of determining these these human interactions and and what good comes of them. But I do think that that moving uh, things online does get can get isolating for me, and I do enjoy some of those um, what I'd call uh, disposable but still valuable uh, interactions with folks. Yeah, I mean, I think of it as more mixed reality, right? So take, take, take the, what, what you're calling disposable interactions. And I mean, what, what if your device, what if your environment is letting you know that your neighbor comes from Venezuela 
and is letting you know that your neighbor's, um, you know, some of this gets too big brothery, but as a thought experiment, let's just run with it. Your neighbor's lawnmower broke down as they were trying to use it. If you got a notification like, hey, you know, uh, Bob's lawnmower just broke down. Would you like to go and help him? That would be pretty freaking awesome. If you wheel your lawnmower, hey, Bob, I just got this alert. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Like, please use mine. I, I love it. Like, that's awesome. Going over and how's the weather? I mean, that's, right? I mean, so I'm not saying let's put walls between us. I'm saying we waste time. We waste our lives having these, these meaningless interactions, which with a little bit of automation, a little bit of insight, we could instead have incredibly meaningful and beneficial interactions. It's just, it's just moving, moving the location of where these things happen. Like, you know, weather information, you don't necessarily need to have a conversation about. But there's other things that you do need to have a conversation about that would really matter to both of you. Today, those conversations never happen. I see a future where those conversations can happen. I think that's fucking exciting. All right. So um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to say that that's a pretty cool interaction. I'd love it if somebody could uh, show up when, uh, you know, my latest uh, appliance is broken down. So I like that thought. But listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we are mentioning here in real time. Just head over to the digitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for Episode 221 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.